The following podcast is brought to you by Pro Wrestling Connect, Australia's newest choice for event management and brand development specialising in pro wrestling. And now, now the B Plus Wrestling Podcast. Watch global. global. Support local. local. It's the B Plus Wrestling Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Wrestling Landscape Podcast. I am your host, Lance Larson, and tonight I'm drinking whiskey. And it tastes so, so good. The Wrestling Landscape Podcast is the casual wrestling podcast. The informal wrestling podcast. And on this episode, we are talking exclusively about the G1 Climax 29 Tournament. Nights 5, 6, 7, and 8. In which, I have no hot takes. Gonna totally spoil the episode. Some of you might tune out a minute in. But long-time listeners will know. I'm sure I'll come across something along the way that I find especially great, or that I find especially shitty, and I'm sure I'll have an opinion or two as we go along, because that just tends to be how these things go. We start an episode, and it's like, damn, I don't feel like I don't have anything special to say. Like, I don't have, like, any opinion that I don't see anyone else sharing, nothing nothing unusual. Like, I hate a match that everyone loved, or I loved a match that everyone hated. But then I go along, something pisses me off, and I just go off. So we'll see how this one goes. Starting off, night five on July the 18th, A Block matches. And of course, as always, I am only talking about the tournament matches. There is no goddamn way I have time to watch the undercard matches in this day and age. And to be completely honest, even if covering wrestling was my full-time job, I still would not have time to watch the undercard on the G1 matches. There's too goddamn much going on. So let's jump right in. Kenta defeating Lance Archer. On the first tournament match of the evening. Good match. Decent work. Perfect psychology that went along with their sizes. Nice logical finish. Kenta submitted the larger Archer. And Lance Archer was entertaining in this role. I do not think Lance Archer is necessarily a great wrestler. I think he is a good wrestler. And he is paired with excellent wrestlers as opponents. And therefore, he has above-average matches. But again, this is the G1. He's working hard. Whoever he's wrestling is working hard. He's probably going to have better matches than usual. I think the Lance Archer we're going to see in the G1 is going to be peak Lance Archer. I think what we see in the G1 is the best we're going to see of Lance Archer. I do not think he will top this. I do not think he he should get some kind of special singles run. I'm fine with him beating the G1 from now on. I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of it, but it's like, 
see his first two matches, it's like, oh yeah, he deserves to be here. He can be there to put over some more talented guys. I do not want him getting a special singles push at all. There is no singles title I want him to hold. Not the never open weight, not the US, not the IC, certainly not the heavyweight, but it's not like he'd ever be considered for that anyway. To be honest, he wouldn't ever be considered for the IC anyway either. Um, the only one he would really the only ones he'd really have a chance would be the never open weight or the US. And I, I hope he doesn't get either of those. You know? I really don't. But this was fine. Kento remains undefeated. Next, we had Evil over Sonata. Thought this was an awesome match. The crowd loved it. They traded each other's moves, which was good fun. Um, it was exactly what you expected out of these two. I think there was a couple inside cradles late in the match that really got me. Completely bought it. And after the match... Evil finally fist-bumped with Sonata, which he'd been ignoring for a while. We all thought it might be some kind of a uh, LAJ split, some kind of turn, some kind of uh, uh, what's the word where someone abandons a group? Defection. Why did it take me so long to think of defection? Some kind of defection, but it wasn't. Everything seems all good now. Kazuchika Okada defeating Bad Luck Fale. This was nothing special. He caught a sunset flip for the pin. Much like his pin over Omega in the 2 out of 3 falls match. Um, which Okada loves. Okada really enjoys that. Because um, it seems like every time he's allowed to do kind of a, a non-lateral press pin for the win, he does that. Omega said that Okada suggested that pin to him in their match. This just seems to be Okada thing. See, now, every time he goes for this kind of pin, I'm going to buy it as like, oh, shit, is this it? Because I think he pinned Jericho the same way, too, didn't he? Oh, fuck, I think he did. He loves that kind of finish. See, and now it's over for me. See, now he's going to do this in, like, a big-time match, like, really late. He's just going to catch a mofo, and I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to be like, oh, shit, it's it, and the guy's going to kick out, and I'm going to shit my pants. Because that's what Okada does to me. Because Okada's fucking brilliant. God damn it, Okada. As I'm praising him, this was not a great match. Um, This was Okada's worst match of the tournament. Not so far. This was plain Okada's worst match of the tournament. I don't care what matches he has upcoming. This is Okada's worst match of the tournament. This will be the worst tournament match for Okada. Next, we had Tanahashi defeating Zack Sabre Jr., Awesome, real fun grappling match. Um, they spent a long spot fighting over a backslide, flipping each other's arms. I thought it was really entertaining. I was really into who's going to win a backslide spot. I obviously knew the backslide was probably not going to finish the match. You know what? Maybe I fucking didn't. They might have worked me into believing the backslide might have fucking finished this match. So awesome these two were. And making a backslide feel important. This... Okay, when people praise Triple H matches, 
about like, oh, everything meant something. And it's like, no, he just did a simple move and the guy sold it for 60 seconds. Doesn't mean it meant something. Just means they took a long ass time to get to the next spot. This meant something. They were fighting over getting the backslide. Their body language, their facials. They were fighting over this backslide. They made this motherfucking backslide seem important. That's how you make stuff matter. Not by selling for fucking ever and slowing the pace down of a match to nothing. These guys spent I don't know how long just flipping each other's arms trying to get advantage for a backslide. Made that backslide feel fucking special. And this is why Tanahashi is the smartest fucking worker on the goddamn planet. Because this motherfucker's old, he's injured, and he's doing little shit like this to make small spots really important. Awesome match. Spilled some of my whiskey. Not, not happy about that. Okay, main event, Kota Ibushi defeating Will Ospreay. Fucking awesome match. Osprey is insanely good at selling. Great facial expressions by both, telling their story. This was a classic body part versus body part match. For a good chunk of it, certainly not all of it. Ibushi's ankle versus Osprey's neck. Built well, super dramatic at the end. Big, big fan. There was no way that match was going to suck, even with the injuries. Because those two guys are excellent. So that was night five. Moving on to night six. July the 19th. B-Block matches Shingo Takagi. Defeating Taichi. Awesome match. Tons of strikes and lariats. Built excellently. Had a nice fever pitch towards the finish. Both guys were very crisp in their offense. Shingo always is. He's one of the best in the world at having a nice high offense. Like, literally. Like, if I'm doing an overall best pro wrestler in the world, is Shingo in the top 10? Maybe I'd have to think really hard about it. But something he is absolutely top 10 in is simply just executing moves. He executes moves just as good as anyone else that I've seen on this planet. Granted, still a lot of pro wrestlers I haven't seen. Good ones, too. It's important to keep in mind. Everyone needs to keep that in mind when they're talking about wrestling. There's tons of wrestling promotions you don't follow or that you only follow here and there. Lots of wrestling you don't see. Always important to keep that in mind. But Shingo Takagi is fucking flawless. Anyway, I thought the match was laid out smartly and I really enjoyed it. I think Taichi is a good wrestler. I am finally, fully, unapologetically... On board with our Lord and Savior Taichi, our holy emperor that will lead us to salvation. Really enjoyed that match. Jeff Cobb defeating Juice Robinson. Very good match. Well executed spots. Um, Cobb hit a tour of the islands out of nowhere for the finish. I do not think it built well to that. It felt like it came out of nowhere, which. <coughs> I'm not editing out that cough, which you usually don't want out of matches. So it was good, not great, under 15 minutes, not a terribly long match. Toru Yano over Jay White. 
LOL, brass knucks to the nuts for the finish. Fun Yano match. I'm actually a thumbs up on basically all the Yano matches this year. Like, none of them are long enough to bother me. But they're all really enjoyable. I like them. This one was no exception. Next, we had Naito defeating Hiroki Goto. Um, very good. Great counters. Naito is an incredibly smart match layer outer, which I know are not words. Please do not at me. And Goto is the best mid-carder in the world. Now, listen. That's kind of an impossible claim to make, you know? Best mid-carder in the world. A lot of promotions out there. Literally in the thousands. Don't watch most of them. I keep tabs on, I don't know, maybe 15 promotions? Maybe 20 if I'm using keep tabs on pretty loosely. From what I can tell, Hiroki Goto is the best mid-carder in the world. That's all I'll say about that. Next, we had John Moxley defeating Tomohiro Ishii. This is fucking awesome. You all know that. I'm sure you all believe that. If you don't think Moxley Ishii was awesome, DM me. And please tell me why. I would be very curious to hear your explanations. And listen, they'd probably have to be damn good explanations for me to change my mind. But I'd be very curious to hear what you would say if you were someone that did not like Moxley Ishii. Like... I would just be very curious. If you did not like this match, DM me. Um. Ishii. Can't believe he made that jump he made from the top rope through the table. But he did it. It was nuts. Moving on. We're burning through these reviews. Because like I said, don't have a lot of hot takes. If I have one, I'll stop and go off on it. Day 7. July the 20th. A-Block matches third and final night at Cork and Hall. Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Bad Luck Fale via Canout. I loved that. I thought it was awesome. And I really fucking enjoyed it. I thought that was the perfect finish to that match. Just perfect. Zack's celebration afterwards was awesome. I really fucking love that. I loved, because it seems like every year we get one, maybe, maybe two countout finishes in the G1, which is perfect. Because then you can tease it, and it makes it at least somewhat believable. Perfect finish here. Absolutely loved it. Interestingly, I wrote down that this kind of finish would be hard to get over in the U.S. Because, like, I love this finish, and it worked so well in this scenario. But, like, I'm picturing a U.S. company, even a U.S. company that already has, like, goodwill with me, them doing this kind of finish, and me being on board with it. And not even being on board with it, being like, oh, that was awesome. You know, because I see this finish, and I'm like, oh, that was awesome. But I feel like if most U.S. companies did it, I would be down on it. Like, whether it's AEW, NXT, certainly PWG, because that is not their shtick at all. But, like... Try to think of a U.S. company that I'd be like, oh yeah, that was great. I, I don't think I would be. Just one of these unique situations 
where everything came together and it was perfect. Big fan of it. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey everyone, just want to take a second to tell you about one of our new sponsors, Outbreak Nutrition. Outbreak Nutrition are creating supplements for survival, sharper minds, quicker reflexes, all the energy you need to take your performance to the next level, whether that be on the field, in the gym, on the gaming field. That's right, they have specifically designed gaming supplements as well to help you focus on those late night sessions. They even sell coffee, you guys, at Outbreak Nutrition. You can get coffee pods, you can get coffee beans, you can get supplements for the bedroom as well if you want to enhance your performance there. These are performance-enhancing supplements for every aspect of your life, specifically designed by gamers, for gamers to stay fit and healthy in the gym, to stay sharp and focused on the game, and to dominate in all areas of life. So check out OutbreakNutrition.com, and for being a listener of our podcast, they will give you 10% off your order when you enter the code B+. That is B-P-L-U-S at checkout. So make sure if you want to stay on top of your game, if you want to take your performance to the next level, OutbreakNutrition.com, enter the code B+, at checkout. Hey guys, just a reminder, if you want to hear all of these wonderful B-plus podcast episodes completely ad-free, make sure you head over to Patreon or Podbean, where we are the featured podcast this week. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month, up to $10 a month, where anything you want to help us with, it really helps out. It's going to help us grow the site. It's going to help us redesign some things. And everything that we get through this and through the advertising as well is all going straight back into the podcast so that we can get Aussie Graps out there for the rest of the world to hear about, for the rest of the world to see, so we can grow this mission of watch global, support local, and build indie wrestling. So if you want to be a part of that and get some really cool rewards like call-in shows, bonus episodes, ad-free like I mentioned, then head over to patreon.com slash the B plus and subscribe today. Next we had Tanahashi defeating Lance Archer. My only note that I wrote down for this match is Tanahashi is the smartest wrestler in the world. That's the only note I took on this match. Because this man is brilliant. I can lay out any kind of match with anybody that somehow is awesome in which he does so very little. Tanahashi is a god. And he's proving it not at his peak, although he did then. But he's proven it again as a crippled old man still having killer matches. Good on him. Kenta defeating evil. Um, I thought this was real good. I thought it was well worked. Nothing special to note on it. Same with Ibushi Sonata. Really good match. Lots of fun. But, like, no hot takes. This show I really did not have, like, any special thoughts on. It was just enjoyable match after enjoyable match. And that's just, like, you know, no... Uh, in my opinion, no match of the year contenders. Just a lot of really good matches. And when I say no match of the year contenders, I'm including Okada Osprey. Now, don't get me wrong, I really liked this match. I absolutely did. Especially the third act. Which is absolutely worthy of praise because those counters in those go-home stretches were unreal and mind-boggling and deserve every ounce of praise that anyone sheds towards them. Fucking phenomenal, brilliant, and perfectly executed. Third act was unreal. I'm gonna say this. 
the third act of this match was the best five minutes of professional wrestling I've seen all year. You take any five consecutive minutes from any match and put it up against the last five minutes of this match. I don't think they're as good. Best five minutes of wrestling of the year. Absolutely unreal. But not a match of the year contender. I thought the Heat segment heard it and kept it from that conversation for me. Like, I don't think this would be in my top 10 at the end of the year. If I kept a top 10, I am pissed at myself for not keeping a running track of the top 10 throughout the year. Like, I don't... I started one, and then I just stopped. What I need to do... Listen, this is what I need to do, and I'll probably do it for 2020. But, like... So, after after the second Dome show, after January 5th, take a pen out, piece of paper. No, not even. I'm going to do it on my phone, so it'll make it easier. And I'm just like, of the matches I've seen that year, from wherever, from those first five days of January, then I'm going to wait until after the Dome shows, because it's kind of pointless to do it before the Dome shows. And I'm just going to write out my top ten matches so far in the first five days of the year. Just rank them. Probably add star ratings to them. And then as the year goes along, every time I see a match that nudges in there, I'm going to place it in and bump out whatever number ten was and just keep that running tally all year long. Because in my opinion, that's like the only way to do a top ten match of the year. Because if you just wait till like the last week of December without keeping track of anything, there's excellent matches you're going to forget about. And it's so easy to just default to the ones everyone else is bringing up. So that's the only way to do it. I think because it's so far into 2019 and there's so many matches I've forgotten to write down, I just, I probably won't do it this year. But even if I were, I still feel like this match would not be in the top 10. thought the heat segment hurt it. That was a little slow. thought it was a little bland. The third act was obviously, like I said, the best of the year. But the middle segment just kind of hurt it for me. Um, and then the big question, obviously, is should Osprey have won this match? My initial answer is yes. I predicted he would win this match. I was wrong. Thought there was a lot of benefit to it. Because he's already suffered plenty of losses in this tournament. So there's like one win. This is really the only win he would need. Like, if he got this and won one other match and just ended with four points, it would still be a successful tournament because he beat Okada. Then he'd get a title shot at Royal Quest. To me, and Okada could get his win back there. To me, it just made a lot of sense for Osprey to win. It did. But he didn't. Ultimately, though, New Japan has earned my trust with their booking that when they do something that I don't think is a good idea, usually, not always, certainly not always, but usually, six to 12 months later, I end up thinking, wow, they made the right call because of what they, you know, because of them doing what I didn't think they should do, led us to A, B, and C that were awesome. So, New Japan has earned enough goodwill and enough trust with me that I am totally willing to trust them on this booking decision. Now, six, 12 months later, I certainly reserve the right to look back and be like, yeah, that didn't go anywhere. They should have done it. You would assume that they're saving his big win over Okada for later. 
This is what New Japan does. They do this all the time. They did it with Jay White and Tanahashi. Remember Jay White's big debut at Wrestle Kingdom? And he lost to Big Tana. Lost to the Ace. We'll see what happens. They have my trust. But we'll see. Because you can you lose trust the same way you earn it. They made a lot of good booking decisions that made me trust them. They make several bad booking decisions. That's how you stop trusting them. Make people stop trusting if they stop tuning in. That's what happened with me in WWE. Just kept giving them the benefit of the doubt. Kept saying, oh, that's just one mistake. It's not necessarily reflective of all their booking. And all of a sudden, nope. It's like, just finally hit me. It's not a one-time mistake. It's who they are. Anyway. Awesome match overall. Moving on. Day 8, July the 24th. Juice Robinson over Toriano. Fun Yano match. That's just going to be my note for every Yano match. Unless for some reason it absolutely sucks and it's not boring or entertaining at all. It's, I'm really just going to put Fun Yano match. That's all it is. Taichi defeating Hiroki Goto with a low blow. Uh, good match, I thought. Crowd was kind of quiet. Nothing special from Taichi. So after I praise him as a good wrestler, as a nothing special match. Um... Goto headbutted a kick in the match, which looked badass, and I thought made him look like a real tough guy, in a good way. Usually if I use that phrase, it's probably sarcastic and condescending, but here I meant it literally. It worked. Made him feel top guy-ish for that split second, even though he's not and he's never will be. Nor should he be. Goto and Ishii are amazing. Ishii in particular. Unquestionable top 10 wrestler in the world. Like, I can't imagine that there's 10 wrestlers that I don't watch that are better than him. I suppose it's possible. A lot of wrestling out there I don't watch. But I would just, I would be flabbergasted. If there were. So. Top 10 wrestler in Ishii. But I don't think he should be the champion. I don't. That could change. We talked about that before. If they they know exactly how to heat folks up, if for some reason they make the right three or four decisions, booking decisions, that just heat them up and just make them ripe for the title, I'll change my mind. But right now he's not someone who I think should be champ. The fact that they really only see three or four, maybe five folks that are on the level to win it makes the title feel super special. And honestly, the fact that someone that's as good as Ishii is not in that elite group makes the title feel even more special. Because it takes more than just being an unreal worker. Don't think he has the star power. This is the one of the only situations in my life where someone's just an out-of-this-world worker. And so I will use, and I'll say, well, being an unreal worker is not all it takes to be top guy. Gotta have star power. Probably one of the few times in my life I'd say that. And I don't even know what I necessarily mean by star power. Can't really articulate it. Which frustrates me. Because it makes me feel like I don't understand it. But I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to stick to it. Next. Moxley over Shingo. Fun match. Good psychology. Excellent counters, I thought. To me... This match um, showed that Moxley's great strength is not his in-ring prowess. It is not 
flawless execution because it doesn't have it. It's not superior selling because it doesn't have it. But the way he lays out matches, I think he's generally smart about his strengths and weaknesses. Not perfectly smart. I think sometimes he exposes himself a little bit. But overall, he's a very good pro wrestler. Knows how to carry himself. Good promo. Decent enough worker. And he works to his strengths. So he's a good pro wrestler. Anyway, really good match, I thought. White over Cobb. Thought it was good. Lots of white counters. Um, his typical white counter thing. You know, it goes to the dragon, his counter shtick. Next, we had a Naito defeating Ishii. Tomohiro Ishii in the main event. Very good. Excellent build. Good psych. Great close and stretch like you'd expect from New Japan. And these guys absolutely delivered. Ishii, again, having a killer match. Dave Meltzer commented on, uh, I can't remember, one of the first of the radios, how Ishii and Osprey are having the best G1. Like, uh, of the 20 guys in the tournament, those are two guys, you know, having the best tournament so far. Can't say I disagree. Can't say I disagree. Because I can't think of anyone that would be up there with them. Yeah, not Kenta, not Ibushi, not Sonata, not Mox, not Shingo. Tournament's still young. Not quite half over yet. Just about, though. Um, Okada, Kenta, Moxley, all undefeated. Kenta and Okada are in the same block. They will be having a one-on-one match, I believe, this weekend. So that'll change. Then we'll probably have some clear block winners for each block. Box is on top of his block, the B block, and Okada Kenta obviously tied for the A. That is your recap of the most recent four G1 Climax Knights. Definitely more your way. Certainly more Tokyo Dream and come on your way. As I sadly have fallen very behind on All Japan's Junior um, Tag Battle of Glory Tournament. Falling behind on some start and stuff. I have yet to get around to watching Dragon Gate's Kobe World, even though everyone keeps saying it was awesome. So hopefully I'll have a non-G1 Tokyo G1 coming your way soon. But like always, it's the Casual Wrestling Podcast. Do what I want. Deal with it. You don't like it, go listen to something else on the, on the B Plus Podcast. They're pretty regular with stuff. You can trust them. I'm erratic. I give you episodes when I give you episodes. Anyway, this has been the Wrestling Landscape Podcast. The explicitly and unapologetically casual wrestling podcast. I'm your host, Lance Larson. Thank you so much again for listening. And take care.